Hello, and welcome to One Stop Co-op Shop, your one stop for board game news and reviews. This week, game designers Peter Gusis and Michael Kelly will review a cooperative game and have a related design discussion. Hey, it's Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. And today we're going to be looking at the new solo co-op mode, uh, a standalone release, Unmatched Adventures for the Unmatched Fighting System. Yes, and this is specifically Tales to Amaze, the first one in what I'm sure is going to be a series. I imagine so. That they've uh, shown that they are already very committed to the system, which I think is a great thing. And yeah, more to come. Although I don't think they have the Marvel license anymore, right? So I think it'll be like more of these public domain characters like these ones are. Probably. Yeah, I mean, but they've gotten away with that in Unmatched for a long time from Red Riding Hood and Beowulf. And I think they have monsters. I know they have Jekyll and Hyde, I think. So yeah, they, they've they not run out of material uh, even before they got Marvel. So I, I do feel like they're going to do this for a while. Yeah, definitely. And uh, then we're going to have a design discussion on different uh, ways to have in competitive games that have like solo co-op added on different like complexity levels for the automa or like the opposing player or what have you. Yep. But before we get into that, you want to thank our patrons. Sure. So we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash one stop. Uh, you get early access to our YouTube videos. You get them a, a week ahead of time generally. And then you also get to see exclusive videos. We do at least two a month. There's like 60 or 80 of them up there now. Uh, extra top 10 lists, extra playthroughs, uh, extra conversations between me and Peter. Just a ton of stuff up there. And yes, we want to thank some of our awesome supporters. Uh, Daniel Stefko, you've been named. That, that's the name of the person, by the way. Not <laughs> you've been named. And sorry, uh, Danielle. I think I said Daniel. Danielle Stefko, you've been named. Sean Nielsen, Don Whitaker, and Steve S. So thank you to all of you. And thanks to everyone who's supporting uh, the channel, helping us make all our content. And also thank you to anybody who's you know subscribed to the YouTube channel, who's uh, subscribed to this podcast, who's left us a review. All that stuff helps. All right. I was going to throw it to you because I haven't been playing a lot lately, but I will talk about the glut of Kickstarter content that I have just received. It is amazing that over the last three to five years, I haven't backed that many Kickstarters, but they're literally all coming in back to back to back. So it started out with Compounded, which is a one of our friends designed the game, Daryl Louder, designed Compounded, and I got the newest version of that recently. Haven't had a chance to get it to the table. But two games that I've kind of had on my shelf and haven't been willing to play, because we've talked about this before, but like I don't want to play something if I know like they're fixing it or updating it or whatever else. There's a second edition. I don't know what it is. It's a mental thing with me. So, But I just got the upgrade packs for both uh, Oathsworn and Adventure Tactics. And for Adventure Tactics, I got the big box and I get the upgrades and stuff like that. I mean, you haven't seen this yet, right? Like, this is the biggest box I've literally ever seen in my life for Adventure Tactics. Really? I, I thought you were going to say Oathsworn was the biggest box you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> well, no. So Oathsworn has four boxes. And so it's more content overall in those four boxes. But the Adventure Tactics box, I'm guessing, is two to three of those boxes as just one box. That's insane. Adventure Tactics is like, I think of that as a, you know, it's not a small game, but it's just a ton of cards. You know, it's not much other stuff. Right. I think they did miniatures for everything. Maybe that's part of it. I I don't even know why. Like, I got this giant box in my house 
And I'm like, what is this thing? And then I open it and there's a little bit of content. Like there's a new alchemy expansion and all this stuff. And then there's a giant box inside of this giant box. I'm like, what is this giant box? So I open that up, you know, like cardboard box. And inside of it is this giant box stuffed in the box inside the other box. It's like one of those like nesting dolls or whatever. Like I'm pulling box inside a box inside a box. And I open it up and it's got all these like... um inserts or whatever that can hold miniatures and cards and like everything's got a spot in there so i don't know you know how sometimes things get too big for what you wanted them to be i might have overstretched on this one i might overplayed yeah i do that a lot too and man sometimes when i have these giant games it's such a beast to get them to the table yeah so i'm gonna try to at least get the base game with like second edition stuff to the table before i try to add anything else in. that's my goal is to not like overwhelm myself. And speaking of which, another one I pledged for is uh, Dead Reckoning. Have you played that one? No, that's, is that from the same like Mystic Veil set of people? Yes. Yeah, yep. yeah. I remember Colin saying that was like really good. I was actually interested in trying that one. Okay, well, I'll have it with the solo content. So you will probably do a video of it, I'm sure, or maybe a five <laughs> and five <laughs> yeah. or whatever else. Um, no works. promises, but... Uh, yeah, so that one shipped to me too. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like none of these games that I pledge for nearly at the same time as each other. And they are literally all coming in now in addition to one more, which is a hockey game I got called Trick Shop, which is a great hockey game. But I'm getting like an upgrade pack to that too. So I haven't played that thing in like two or three years while waiting for this upgrade pack to come in and like, you know, whatever, turn it into second edition or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm getting a lot of stuff, too. I got the role-player adventures, uh, a new expansion, which is a new campaign, but you still need the old stuff. Um, I just played through the first scenario of that, and it's it's great. They've, they've made the game a little bit tougher if you want it to be, which is was my main complaint before, so that's definitely good. And then I'm playing a lot, honestly. Uh, I played more Resident Evil 1, which I got a review copy of recently, and... It's almost the same game as Resident Evil 3, and I really like that. They've just changed. You kind of explore the the mansion you're in a bit more. Oh, okay. Like, Resident Evil 3 put out the entire scenario map at once. In this one, you put out part of the scenario map, and then, like, when you go through a door, you put out a few more tiles. Not in a way that feels onerous and, like, it takes too long. But, yeah, I, mean, I always enjoyed that system, so I think this is probably the best version of it so far. And then, gosh, I guess the last one I'll mention briefly is uh, Scoventeer, or no, it's like Scoventeer, I think. I forget exactly how to pronounce it. That's uh, it's from the company that does uh, the Oniverse series, like Onirim and that kind of stuff. Uh, oh, Jason just reviewed that last Correct. week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, well, he did a play of it. Uh, oh, did he do a podcast review? Yeah, he did. It. He did a podcast review, just a brief one. He did a, that and a couple other games right at the beginning. Oh, nice. Of the episode. Okay. Yeah, so I got that in Siberian, which is the newest Oniverse one, which I know Jason also did a playthrough of on the channel. And so far, I'm definitely liking the Skoin tier more. Uh, it plays more players, whereas Siberian is only one to two players. My son enjoyed it. It's got a fun little theme where, like, it's you're you're like a badger god r- helping you're helping them run from the devil, basically. <laughs> it's Badgers like, running from the devil. That's right, man. It sounds like a good uh, song. Yeah, so I've enjoyed that so far. A nice, quick, like, little solo or multiplayer uh, co-op game. So that, that's a few. I've been playing a ton. Like, they're, they're all that's coming cool. out on the channel. Oh, and uh, there is a... I should mention this just because I know it's one of uh, both of our favorite games. And I think by the time we have another podcast, it'll already have launched. But I think next week, like around the 14th or the 15th of November, 
we have uh, there's a new not we <laughs> uh, level ninety nine is launching a new bullet uh, Kickstarter. Oh, I love and that game. This will yep. be yeah yeah me too. It's a reprint of everything, which I know is definitely good because level ninety nine is not in like Europe and other places, other parts of the world as much as they are in the U.S. So like our EU friends that have been waiting for an easier way to get the games. Now you can get all of the content, including I think they said they might finally have the wooden deluxe bullets available, which was not always the case. And then there's also two new smaller expansions in this crowdfunding campaign for a total of eight new characters. I've uh, played with two of them. They sent me like early PNP print and play uh, versions of them. And uh, I'll have a playthrough, I think, when the campaign launches of one of the new uh, bosses. So yeah, I mean, like like Peter said, Bullet's one of my favorites, uh, one of his favorites too. More more Bullet is never a bad thing, and more accessibility for Bullet is never a bad thing. So yeah, excited for that. That sh- again should be happening next week. I mean, depending on the price point, that's probably a game I should also own, just because I play it solo, or I would play it solo more than I'd play like a lot of these games solo. Something to think about. I know I could always borrow yours, so it's probably a stupid idea, but I have lots of stupid ideas. I mean, I just got <laughs> five games that I complained about how much I got, so why not add one more to it? We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> what, 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 what's the harm? <laughs> yeah, so the only games I've actually been playing are our games, so I did some playtesting on the mini expansion that we added in, which was kind of a response to Alex from Board Game Co.'s saying that he wanted to play like the basic cards. He was tired of playing with the basic cards at the beginning of every game. So it just like changed up the basic cards, like made them a little more interesting, Um, some better, some worse. But we did kind of the packets idea from Star Wars. What was that? Star Wars LCG? Is that what it was just called? I think it was. Yeah, I think it was Star Wars, the living card game. I don't think they had any more exciting name than that. Yeah, so it kind of gave us some freedom to do some stuff, which is make some better cards and worse cards in the same packet. And that way, even though it's a deck builder, so there's a little bit of difference because you could call them out. So we had to make it like the worst cards we had to make harder to get rid of from your deck. Um, but it was it was fun experimenting with those and kind of coming up with some themes. So I've been playtesting that just to make sure it's really good because I hate when there's Kickstarter like bonus content and then it stinks. So we wanted to make sure to fully playtest it uh, as much as humanly possible to to make sure there weren't any bad interactions. So I've been doing that. And then I've been getting uh, Salvation Road to the table again as well, just kind of wrapping my mind around our design process on that one because... I don't know. Uh, I, I have lots of ideas um, and I know we've been talking about it a lot of just like revamping that system and rekindling it. And uh, who knows, maybe that'll be coming in the future, you know, some kind of a reprint of Salvation Road, but maybe even like redone. So it's not like just a second edition or whatever. Yeah, I'm excited by the possibility. I always like that one, but I also think that we've learned and and even if we haven't learned as designers i think also we've changed in our own preferences for games a lot (laughs) since we designed that one i mean we had a lot of cool ideas in there and that's the thing like 90 percent of the game i want to keep the same it's just that 10 percent is i I think will make a huge difference as well as you know blow it out like kickstarter fancy it (laughs) as far as like art and graphic design and stuff not as far as like a million different expansions and and stuff like that All right, but uh, with that, let's jump into our discussion of Unmatched Adventures, which again, Unmatched is an existing mainly 1v1, although I think there are multiplayer rules for up to four players, but 1v1 kind of dueling game with cards. You're moving around these boards. You can mix and match all these different uh, characters from tons of different releases over the years. 
And now this Unmatched Adventures, Tales to Amaze, is the first in what will probably, as Peter said, be a line of solo co-op games. It comes with two bosses, uh, four characters, so you need nothing else. You can freely use other Unmatched-like products, but if you just want to buy this and just go to town, it's more than enough, I would say. Uh, But yeah, I guess, what's the theme, Peter? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll just briefly go over. Basically, there are two main villains in this box. It's Mothman and the Martian Invader, as well as there are a bunch of minions in the boss. Boss? In, not in the boss, in the box. <laughs> there are a, bu- a bunch of minions. So there are, I think, six different minions that you get with it, including like a skunk ape, the giant tarantula, uh, the Jersey Devil. So there's a bunch of like little minions that you're going to fight against as well. So there are two main scenarios though. And the two scenarios again are Mothman and the alien invader. So you're going to fight against one of those two. And not only is the boss different in each of them, but the scenario itself is different. We'll get into a little bit more details of that as we get in, but that is the theme of at least this first box that has come out. Yeah. And then in terms of the gameplay, They've uh, put into place an Aeon's End-style initiative system in that you'll have cards to activate each of the monsters, the boss and the minions, and then cards to activate each of the players. You'll shuffle them and destroy one at a time and resolve them. And then, interesting, this is something that Aeon's End did not do. The cards will stay out in the order, and then you might resolve like additional effects on the cards from left to right when every card has been drawn and the round is over. But yeah, so in the end, it's a, a randomized initiative system. On the boss's turn, it's very simple. They'll move three towards the closest character if they can reach them, get into melee range and hit them. Uh, they have their own individual deck for each character, and they're going to have like attack and defense values and special powers on there. And then on your turn, you get two actions. You can play cards to attack. You can move, which is also how you redraw cards. You don't draw cards normally, like at the end of your turn or anything. You have to uh, take the maneuver action, even if you don't want to move, to draw. And when you attack, again, they draw a card from their uh, deck and it'll determine how well to defend and potentially some other special powers that happen. And you're trying to take out the boss before uh, they take out uh, all of you. So there is like the potential for player elimination. One player can get defeated and the other ones can still win. But uh, yes, it is. It is go to the face of the boss. You can kill the minions or not. <laughs> you know, if you, you can get rid of them, if you don't want them to be uh, messing around with you, but you could also just ignore them and try to kill the boss straight up. That's the basic idea of the game. Yep. And then you do get one boss and a number of minions equal to number of players and then bosses health scales based on number of players as well. So they're, that's how they do the player scaling. It's going to be important for one of the points I talk about. So uh, a yep. <laughs> little foreshadowing. One thing I should mention is that uh, the bosses will also put down uh, doom tokens on the board in different ways. And that's like another reason for you to move. Like you have to remove those or things will escalate more quickly and the boss will level up more quickly to an auto win scenario. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And that, yeah, you, you take care of those as Mike said, by, by doing your maneuver action. All right. Well, we're going to now talk about the top five things we think you need to know about the game, starting with number five, which is the least important going to number one, which is the most important, but they're all important or we wouldn't talk about them at all. And actually I had like six or seven points that I combined into five points. Like I kind of squeezed some in. Yeah, no, I did. I did a bit of that too. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I definitely have some two for one, but uh, I'll go ahead and start with number five, which for me is the turn order. As you mentioned, it was very similar. And I think first introduced by Aeon's end, although other games may do it. And 
it's funny because when we were first talking about this game, you didn't like it as much as I did. And I know our opinions may have changed over time, but you know, after first impressions of the game and you're like, yeah, but that turn order thing, man, like you hated it in Aeon's end. Like you even did things to overcome it. So why do you not mind it here? And I think it it still comes back to, and I, I don't dislike it as much here. And the reason is because the AI turns are so fast and yes, they can do bad things to you back to back. And yes, I've had it happen where the, you know, you've had your turn and then the AI has a turn and it just beats you down. And then the AI beats you down again. I still don't love that part of it. It's still, it it still bothers me a little bit, but uh, the thing I think that doesn't bother me as much is because the AI turns are so fast here. I felt like Aeon's end, you're flipping up a card, you're resolving that card, then you're resolving a line of cards. Like the AI turns just took a lot longer. And I think that's why it bothered me more where here it gets back to your turn pretty quickly. And even your turns, if you've ever played on match, your turns are pretty quick too, because you're just doing those two actions. Sometimes you may do two maneuvers and just draw two cards uh, or you're flipping over a card and then they're you know, defending against your attack. So none of the actions take very long. So I think that's why it doesn't bother me as much there. It still does bother me though, that like sometimes the luck can be very swingy based on the order of these cards coming out. And it's even doubly so, and I'll get into this more because of that path you talked about at the bottom, where depending on the order of the cards came out, at the bottom of the card, they resolve a second action and that order matters too. So it kind of hits in two ways. But again, I'm going to get into more details on that later. But the turn order random, it's it's a little bit of a mix for me. I see why they do it because honestly, the AI is just literally moving up to three spaces and attacking. So there needs to be some randomness in there or it would just be obvious like you could you could mess with the system too much if the turn order stayed the same. So I guess that's the pro of it. The con is, again, it may be a while before it gets back to your turn, and there's a little bit more swinginess in how much damage gets done to you based on how long before you get to activate again. Yeah, and I fully agree with you. You, you kind of took away one of my later points, but I'll just say now that I agree it's not nearly as bad as Aeon's end. I still agree it is a little bit annoying. I also think it it works. It does its job. So it's fine. But uh, my number five is the difficulty in the game. And also the event system. So the game, I I think it is very swingy, I will say. And that'll kind of come up in other points I have. Which cards the enemies draw, which cards you draw from your own deck. Because you can draw dead a little bit sometimes. Yep. And also, like, I I do think I found the, I don't know if this was your experience, Peter. I found the alien a bit harder than Mothman. And then some of the minions are also, and there's no, like, guide to this. But some of the minions I also thought were consistently harder than some of the other ones. That's all fine. But yeah, I mean, like really with the card luck, especially like how often you draw these zero cards, these deception cards for the enemies, like sometimes that can make things very easy or very hard. So that's not great, but it's also okay because the game is very quick and it's never like stupidly easy. (laughs) It's and it's, you know, it, it always feels somewhat winnable. Now, they added uh, to kind of make the game a little bit tougher, because I've also seen a lot of people on Discord saying that they find it very easy, more often than not. Uh, they added a deck called Event Cards, and you could draw one to three of these, and they're kind of randomized, like, extra ways to make the game tougher. And I always like this kind of system. It gives, like, a little bit of variety to how the game plays out. It sort of limits things. You can, And you're supposed to do them randomly, but I think it's nice that you could also just pick them. Because, like, one of them forces you to fight the minions, so you can't just kill the boss and win immediately. Some of them make the deception card have a value instead of zero, so it's not like, it's not as swingy when it comes out really frequently. 
So I think it's a good idea. Uh, the thing that's a little bit frustrating, though, is that the events themselves are super swingy. Some of them are, like, really yep. bad, and some aren't that bad at all. Like, it's like I would barely even notice that in the game. So it is a little bit weird that, like, in trying to balance the difficulty, they have an unbalanced way to balance. So just, you know, this, this is definitely a mix for me. Go into the game realizing that it's not... It's not the kind of game you're going in for, like, smooth, perfect difficulty every time. Some games are going to be easy. Some games are going to be hard. And the event cards are cool for variety. They don't really fix that core issue, though. Yeah, and that brings me to my next point, which is my number four, which is the missions. There are different missions. There are different bosses. There are different minions. I like the variety there. They do feel very different to me as far as, like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the bosses feel as different as the minions do. The minions definitely have their own flair. The missions themselves and the bosses we're kind of like maneuver around, get to a certain place to trigger certain things. Yeah, there's a little bit of difference in them, but I actually found that the minions and the boss decks are different. So that that is different. But I found the the minions themselves uh, were very different from one to the other and different in terms of difficulty as well as in terms of what they're doing and, and placing things on the board or not. Some of them try to take out your uh, side characters, your henchmen, which neither my son or I had in the last game we played. And we had the skunk ape in who like literally specifically targets those henchmen or, or whatever your, your allies are called. Um, so yeah, he wasn't so bad in our game. So yeah, I, I, there is a little bit of swinginess there as far as that goes. And as far as difficulty goes, but I think the biggest thing that's going to determine di- difficulty in this game is player scaling. And so I did throw player scaling in here as well. And the game is going to be easy with one or two characters. I've noticed that. I really think the sweet spot for this game is three or four characters if you want to make the difficulty harder. And so I would even suggest playing with two players, each player playing with two characters, if everybody's comfortable with the game. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Marvel Champions and the fact that at lower player... I mean, the difference is, like, the time is very different. (laughs) Like, it's a much faster game, even at four players. But I feel like the, the difficulty was scaled for four players. And at one or two players, the game becomes very quickly. That's the part that reminds me of Marvel Champions. So it's a nice, quick 30 minutes... You know, especially if you're one character, oh my gosh, you're going to fly through the game. Even two characters, 30, 40 minutes, you should be done with a game. You can go straight for the boss. You don't have to even deal with those little henchmen. And so for me, it's a little bit of a a miss there. In four players, you're going to have to deal with some of those those henchmen. And I do like, or the minions, I think they're called. And I do like how they scale up in difficulty throughout the game. So I don't know. I like the variety in the minions more so than the variety anywhere else. And I do think four players is the the right player count. So that's a lot of stuff jumbled into one, but uh, a lot of stuff to say. I like the fact that there does seem to be replayability based on the minions, the bosses, uh, and the number of players you're having. Yeah, I'm torn on the player count thing. I didn't make that a specific point because I think you're probably right. The three to four players where the tactics get the most interesting But also, I don't, (laughs) to be totally honest, I don't think this type of game sustains itself well enough for that long of a playtime. And then, as much as you said you don't mind the the initiative system as much, I think especially with four players, that's four minions and a boss, and a lot of minions and the bosses have, like, extra cards to resolve every turn, and four player turns to resolve. And God, if you go first in one round and last in another round... It's not as bad as four-player Aeons necessarily, but it sure ain't good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sure. So maybe two players controlling two characters each might be the sweet spot. Sure. For me. Yeah. Actually, I think that would be. I think that would be a really good way to do it for sure. 
Yeah, I do think four characters is the right way because then the boss has 40 health. Because here's the thing. In Solo, the boss literally has as much health as a minion. Why would you ever kill the minion? Yeah, I mean, well, I, I started I, I started purposefully using, like I did this in my playthrough on the channel. I started purposefully using the event that forces the minions to all die. So that specifically Solo and two-player was like a little bit less silly where you would just go for the boss right away because, yeah, there's not much reason not to otherwise. Right, and there's just not enough junk to block up the board also. At four players, that's the other thing. There's just more junk on the board. Yeah, I, I had a similar thing with lower player count games, especially solo. So I started uh, purposefully pulling out that one event card that forces you to kill all the minions as well as the main boss, because otherwise at lower player counts, it is just way too easy to go straight for the boss's face a lot of the time. But uh, let's get into my number four point, which is the tactical maneuvering in the game. And it's another thing with uh, different player counts. I think at three to four players, it's both more interesting tactical maneuvering because there's more stuff kind of in your way. It can also be frustrating if you get like blocked too often. Uh, with one to two players, the tactical maneuvering is a little bit more basic. The enemies just charge straight towards you. For many of the characters who don't have range attacks, you just charge straight towards them. I am glad they added the doom tokens in, the like aliens and the maws you got to remove because without them, I don't, there would often be no reason to move except to draw cards. <laughs> so, but at the same time, I'm not saying there's like not a lot going on here. Again, with more players, it is more interesting. There is the interesting fact that if usually you need like movement powers to make this happen, but if you can get an enemy more than three away from everybody, they literally don't do anything. They just raise threat. And, and don't get me wrong. Raising threat is not great, but taking away an entire like activation for the enemy and then not hurting you at all is also really good. So I've done that where I've like, locked a minion in a corner and I've been like, I'll deal with you later, <laughs> you know? So th there are some cool things you can pull off. There is some thought to the maneuvering, but it's a lot of, it's going to depend on your character you're playing with and like how much their powers depend on things being at certain ranges and such. And that's not always consistent. So there's another like mix for me. It's not, it's not always great, but there is some fun stuff in there. Yeah. And I mean, my number three kind of ties in with that, which is what you do on your turn is basically unmatched. And I think a lot of the things you just talked about there, like if you got two melee characters, it can resolve into a everybody runs the middle and kind of punches each other situation. I think they did a better job of f fixing, quote unquote, fixing a game that sold more games than any of our games have ever sold ever. Um, <laughs> they fixed it in uh, the Marvel sets by adding stuff on the board, places you want to go to, things you want to get, um, or spaces you want to stand on when you do your attacks or whatever else. So I think they did that. And then they did that here a little bit with, as you said, with the scenarios themselves, you have to take a maneuver action. You go to certain spots, maybe you get certain benefits for doing that as well. But yeah, basically what you are doing on your turn, there's three actions possible that you can do on your turn. You do any two of them in any combination, including the same one twice. Again, maneuvering, which is drawing a card and moving up to your movement. You can boost that to move further. You could attack or you can play like a special power. There are these yellow cards. Some characters have more of them than others, which basically do something that is not an attack. Um, but that's basically it. So it's really si simple, really straightforward. If you like the unmatched system, this is unmatched co-op. I mean, it's really as simple as that. You were basically doing the same things on your turn that you would do in any unmatched game. So it's pretty neat how they didn't have to alter the system at all in order to make this a co-op game. Yeah, 
Except I totally disagree in a few ways, but that's coming later. <laughs> but mostly you're right. Okay. <laughs> uh, so my number three is a big pro, my favorite thing about the game, and that is the character variety. And really, that's even if you just buy Unmatched Adventures. I think the four characters in this set are all pretty fun and all pretty different. And of course, if you want to buy deeper into the system, or if you already have a lot of stuff in the system, the fact that they generally all work with these sets is great. You know, they, they, some of them are more ranged, some of them are more melee. As Peter mentioned, some of them have allies, some of them are by themselves, some of them move faster or slower. There's just some fun things going on. Like in this one, Nikola Tesla is probably my favorite. He has like his little like uh, Tesla coils that he charges and then uses to boost his attacks, but decharges and then he can recharge them again. So I, I think that is pr- probably since the beginning of this uh, game. And I would say this is true of most kind of dueling games. The variety in the characters is great. And as Peter said, you know, it's cool that you can just pull them into this solo co-op mode and go and they still function. Do they function completely? No, but I'll mention that again a little bit later. You know, there are some things that are important for some characters that are kind of nerfed or almost completely nerfed in this set. But that's pretty minor. It's not going to affect every character. So overall, I still think it's definitely awesome that there's so much variety in the unmatched characters. All the ones I've played in the multiple sets I've played have been fun. And again, you can use them all here. So that's awesome. Yeah. And my number two is my favorite thing about the game, which is the AI and how simple it is to run, but also the two paths that we talked about earlier of the AI. So again, on the AI turn, all you're literally doing when you flip over the card, usually they move three spaces. And if you're in the, you know, if somebody's in the range and then they'll attack that player, all they do to attack is literally flip the top card over to their deck. You decide whether you want to defend or not first by flipping your card. And then, One of the neat parts about what they do here is when you play a card, it has an effect on the bottom a lot of times that say either immediately or at the beginning of combat or during combat or after combat. They have the same kind of things, but they've even separated it out more on the enemy cards where some only happen when they're attacking. So if you're using the attack stat, this is the number and this is the effect that happens. Or if you're using the defense stat, this is the number and this is the effect that'll happen. And And sometimes they'll be the same, but sometimes they'll be different or one of them doesn't have an effect at all. Maybe they just have a big number or whatever. So um, I I do like, uh, and I don't want to get too much into the card effects, but I do like that part of it, um, how quickly it is to resolve their turn. Because again, you're just moving them, you flip a card basically for them. That's it. uh, And resolve that. Uh, But then they all have an end of round effect on the bottom, which we talked about earlier. And the order of that actually matters quite a bit. So I had a situation earlier today where one of the minions effect like increased the threat or the boss's effect. That's what it was. Increased the threat, um, which like threaded them out and had something bad happen on the board, but then the threat marker goes down to one. And then there was another minion on the board that based on where the threat was, they're going to do that much damage to everybody around them. So by having the threat go down, that order really mattered. And you do get to see it ahead of time. So you can plan around it a little bit, but it it is interesting how that order matters kind of twice in there. And those effects can be different based on the order of the enemies and how they flip out. So I just thought for a very simple AI system where you're just flipping a card and you have them resolve their action, they basically all resolve the same. The differences come in their decks. Uh, I I thought that was just kind of interesting. And then again, they all have that different bottom effect, which then triggers at the end of the round too. I don't know. It's all very quick. And all very simple, but I really thought it was clever how they put those two things together. 
Yeah, and actually, that's my number two as well, and I agree with everything you said. Uh, the enemy turns are very fast. They are very simple, but they do have enough variety in their deck and in those like a little ongoing powers and things that it still feels pretty interesting to mix and match them. I like the variety in the enemies in general, especially the minions. So this kind of reiterating stuff Peter said. And as I already said earlier, I, I did lump the initiative activation in here, and I do think it works better than Aeon's End. I still don't love it. <laughs> it's not like a favorite thing about the game for me, but it also doesn't ruin things. And especially at lower player counts, it's really like not a problem at all. So yeah, almost a, a full pro for me. And I, I think the enemy activation is really pretty smooth. All right. Well, why don't you do your one? Cause that was sure. You know, sure. So this back. is uh kind of following up on what you said. And my number one is like the actual choices on the player turn. And first of all, I think Peter is mostly right. It is pretty much unmatched. And unmatched turns are very fast, for for better or worse. You just do two things and you move on, which I think is good in a game like this where other players might be waiting for you and the enemy turns are already so quick. Um, I think the card choices are really pretty cool. A lot of your cards are used for attack or defense. That already is kind of presenting you with an either-or choice. There's lots of combos in the cards, like doing this will then set you up to do that with another card, uh, determining how much you want to commit because cards are a pretty limited quantity. You have to use an entire action to draw a card unless uh, <laughs> unless you have your character. Some characters have more, some characters have less, unless your character plays a card that lets them draw more cards. So I like all of that. Uh, the negative side, and this is kind of uh, core fundamental to the unmatched adventure system compared to regular unmatched. So I, I wouldn't call myself a unmatched expert. <laughs> I've only played uh, the competitive game maybe like six or seven times, I would say. And, but I will say at least my understanding of Unmatch is that it does have this interesting interplay where you're each only drawing cards when you use the maneuver action. And whenever somebody attacks you, you have the choice to play a defense card or not. And there's a lot of kind of, uh, you know, cat and mouse guessing there. Like, did they hit me with a huge attack that I need to defend with? Or is it like a little like wimpy, like one or two damage attack with a ability they want to use? Or they're they just trying to make me waste a good card. Like, oh, I use my five defense and you only attack me for two. Oh, that sucks. I feel dumb now. So that's like kind of a core thing in Unmatched, sort of that, uh, that guessing game of what they're playing and when should I defend and when should I not. And Unmatched Adventures uh, keeps that in the hero being attacked side. You don't know how strong their attack is going to be. You have to play your defense before you flip their card. I think that part works great. The part that I think does not work well and I think is slightly broken and at least kind of frustrating is on the other side of things because they always defend. They always flip a card. And there is the inclusion of the deception card, which is a zero zero. But many of the events, which are meant to make the game more challenging, directly take away that interesting kind of side of things because one of them makes the deception always worth three. One of them makes the deception always go to the bottom of the deck, so you're only going to draw it very infrequently. And the deception already I don't love because it's such a swingy element. So it is just a little bit weird because suddenly, this is the thing I was getting into earlier with the player decks. I love the player variety. But suddenly some cards don't work the way that they are clearly meant to work. And... That's going to happen when you add on a solo co-op mode to a competitive game. I'm not giving them a hard time about this. It's just something to be aware of. Like a big one, the biggest one, we were talking about this in the uh, Discord uh, today, discard effects. Discard effects. I was just thinking Yeah, that. discard yep. effects in the competitive game are awesome. 
Because it's so hard to get cards, you know? So making them lose a freaking card. And and even if they don't discard from hand, some a lot of cards will discard from their deck. Because when you deck them out, they can't draw anymore. So you're still basically like, you know, working toward a long game winning strategy. But those effects do basically zero against the enemies. With the minor exception, like the very minor exception... That if you have the deception thing where it goes to the bottom, then you're getting closer to it. But heck, you might use your discard effect to discard the deception you didn't know was on top of the deck. And now you've actually made your life worse because you made them discard, which is certainly never the case in the competitive game. The good news is that if you discard the deception, as soon as it hits discard, you shuffle it back in. That's that's the core rule. Of well, right, uh, but, but you see my points like. Well, yeah, no, it makes the deck thicker. So you're less likely to right, get that exactly. deception. <laughs> Yeah, and then and then the other thing is, and this is the one that annoyed me even more than the discard, because there aren't that many effects, at least in the four that are in the game, that have discards. But what really annoyed me the most, and it's not it's not game breaking at all, trust me, this game is fun to play, um, is that the power level of cards is just kind of janky now. Because there are a lot of cards that are like two attack, and even like three attack. And those cards are often, unless you have another power that boosts them, almost worthless in a lot of cases in this mode. Because not only, since they always play a defense card and it doesn't actually like, you know, for a player, they are losing cards, no matter how you slice it, if you hit them and they block. Yep. For the enemy, they don't lose anything when they block. They often block everything if it's a weak attack. And then a lot of their cards give them a cool bonus or like directly damage you for your pain of attacking. So it's just a little bit weird. It does not break the game at all. It just kind of forces you to recalibrate. Like you need to attack with bigger attacks. If you have smaller attacks, hopefully they're a attack defense cards. You can use them to defend instead. You know, maybe they have a good power and you can still like leverage them in an interesting way. But it does limit the scope of the card play in a way that I didn't like. And it also highlighted, I hate turns where I have to maneuver twice because I'm almost out of cards. I hate that in competitive, and I felt like that was more of a kick in the pants in co-op solo because I was, like, wasting cards and then having to spend my whole turn redrawing, but I wasn't doing anything to the enemy because not only did I not hurt them, not only did they maybe hit me back with something, but I didn't actually decrease their cards at all. So it is – it's it's like the one – so th- this, is a, this is a point that is a mix again. I do continue to like the core card play in Unmatched. And it mostly still works here. But man, as good as a... And this is a hard thing to do. I've done this. I've made solo variants and things for games, even not our own designs. It is a hard thing to get right. And I wouldn't say they got it wrong, but there are certainly some some stress points and some ugly sides to how the solo co-op is grafted onto the competitive play and like the card play here. Yeah, and that kind of ties into my number one, so I'll just go into it, which is the bosses and the minions decks. They are different sizes based on which minion you're going against, and they have different cards, and they feel different because of those before, during, and after, like, effects. And so that feels really cool. Each of the bosses and minions feel different because of those decks, and that's what really separates them, uh, these card decks. And... You know, when you're attacking, you do. You flip over a card and you're like, okay, so what's their defense going to be? Usually it's going to be pretty high, as you said. The one exception is that zero, zero deception card. So for me, it was swingy, but in an exciting way. Sometimes when swingy happens, it happens in such a way that like 
you know, think Arkham Horror LCG, one of your favorite games, if not your favorite game. Like, like you're expecting a certain result, but when it swings, it swings in a bad way that you're like either frustrated or annoyed or whatever else. I found here when I got that deception card, it swung in a good way. You like usually I was expecting him to have two or three defense. Like you're right, most of those two or three cards become completely worthless in this unless they have some kind of power, which which really affects what's going on. But for me, when I got that zero zero deception card, it was like a stand up moment. It was like an end of game. That's how we won. My son and I earlier today was with a deception flip and we're like, yay, and hands thrown up and things like that. So I think that's the part of it that they did get right now. You're right. Some of those cards and I didn't see all of them and I didn't realize some of them make them automatically a three that would no, I would never play with that card because that is. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it is exciting to get a deception card. So making the deception card worse than a regular card is, yes, is anti-fun in my opinion. Yeah, no, I would definitely not play with that. But yeah, no. So for me, the one thing I like about the, the minion AI deck is that everyone does have that deception card, which is not only the reshuffle card, which means you could get it over and over. I mean, again, think of Gloomhaven. The thing that annoyed us the most was like when you get that miss card, right? And then you have to shuffle the deck and you could get that over and over again. That, again, is the anti-fun. Of course, you get the two times attack as well. But for me, it's super fun to get a miss, you know, where they get a, they whiff on their defense and then that could get shuffled right back to the top again. So I don't know. That's the one thing I do think that they did get right. But yeah, no, I don't like the fact that they could mess with it. And I agree with you, though, on the other stuff. Yeah, those two cards, those two attacks, I almost never used them to attack. I'd use them to maneuver, to move yep, either f- yep. even further and and things like that, or to trigger the bridge powers on the first villain. Yeah, that's one reason, by the way, that I like the Mothman stage better, because it does give more effective ways to use, like, I won't call them dead cards, but uh, weakened cards, <laughs> you know, because of the, like, changes in the solo co-op system. And the one thing you can do, especially, again, at lower player counts, which is why I think it's a little bit worse, is the the maneuver Mike talked about earlier. If you got to do a double maneuver turn, you can just move out of the way of everybody. Like, okay, let's do a maneuver turn. Everybody move out of the way. And then, yeah, they, their threat goes up, you know, so it accelerates the game a little bit. But they also don't do anything. You're not taking, like, tons of damage and having to waste your cards on defense. You now at least have a turn where, like, okay, I know next turn I have to maneuver back in. But, hey, I had zero cards anyway, so now I'm getting three cards out of that turn. And, you know, at least I'm not getting killed between my last turn and my next turn. So there are things you can do. But certainly they're not ideal. I think that is my least favorite part of Unmatched as well. I almost wish that for the maneuver you got to draw two cards. I understand that's part of the economy of the game and that's how it works. But yeah, those double maneuver turns, even turns where you're down to like two cards and you maneuver once and you're like, okay, I'll attack them with this second ability. It, it doesn't feel good to do that. Yeah. Um, and so it, that's an unmatched thing. Though. Well, but, and, and I think it is, I think it is uh, heightened in a negative way in Unmatched Adventures. Because at least in Unmatch, you're both living in that same card economy. You know what I mean? Right. Because Unmatched is a very card-poor game, and that's kind of key to the design. And it's like supposed to be a really tough choice of when you use cards and when you don't. And the abilities that let you draw cards are awesome. Th- this one definitely feels a bit more like, hey, you're living in that economy. They got cards for days. Don't worry about them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think you're right, though, that it changes the... Not destroys it. 
Because I do think some people are going to like that, right? Because it's like, okay, it's one more thing I got to think about. Yeah, I could attack them here, but if I don't end up just defeating them because they draw a high defense card, now I put myself in a really bad situation. And so maybe instead I just maneuver, draw some cards, maybe even get out of their range and live to fight another Definitely. day. And I think that is part part of the core of unmatched and so i I do think people are going to like it more than others look i mean the dice tower gave this game tens and 9.5s across the board my initial play i felt like i was super excited i was super jacked i'll I'll give my final i'll go into my final thoughts here it's definitely come down for me i definitely see some of the wrinkles i definitely see some of the the issues with unmatched popping up here as well, where again, it is frustrating to be down to one or two cards. Maybe there are better players than me that just maneuver a lot early and just keep their hand full the entire game. But as you said, then you got two or three guys attacking you and now you have to use two or three cards for defense or you're using your life as a resource. And now you're back down again before you even get to go again. You might be down to less cards than you had before you double maneuvered because you're just trying to stay alive. So yeah, I mean, there are some wrinkles in the game. I still think it's super fun. I still do enjoy playing it, but the warts have definitely come through a little bit for uh, more for me. So I think it's good, but you know, you've you've probably heard enough at this point to know whether those wrinkles or whatever you want to call them are bothersome to you. Yeah, and I think I grew to enjoy it a bit more. I kind of always saw the wrinkles, and just more plays confirmed them. But I, I do think it is a lot of fun. I think it's very quick. I think it's it's just cool to, like, unmatched characters are diverse and fun to play around with. And it's fun to throw them down in a way that is either solo or collaborative and not feel like you're beating each other in the face. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, like, I, I, en- I enjoy it a decent bit. Uh, do I need to play it? No. And honestly, <laughs> I forget if I said this on uh, the Discord or where, but... The, the biggest takeaway from this, because uh, I played it with uh, my my oldest son to like kind of, you know, drive some more co-op with it because I'd already played like three player co-op and some stuff. And he thought it was fine. He didn't like it that much. But <laughs> he was like, man, you know what this makes me want to play? Exceed. And then like literally we uh, s- since we played on Match Adventures, I think my both my sons, because now my eight year old is getting into Exceed. We played Exceed maybe 40, 50 times in the last like two weeks. So, so, you know, thanks on Match Adventure for pushing me back toward a 1v1 game I like better. Now, here's the thing, though. Man, I wish there was a solo co-op mode for Exceed, <laughs> you know? Right. Well, we actually talked about this last time. This is That's where you mentioned it was on our last podcast, ironically. So uh, you did say that was your son's reaction to it. But, uh, you know, I didn't know you'd played it 40 or 50 times. Well, yeah, we've continued that's, that's like every day we play a few games minimum. Yeah, so so Unmatch Adventures is cool. I don't know if there's a lot out there like this. I guess the closest might be something like uh, Street Masters is, I guess, a little bit similar in that you have... I mean, Ascension Tactics, I feel like, is a similar way. Yeah, yeah. Ex- and that's the other thing. Exceed is a good game, but it's much more complex than than Unmatched. Is. Well, um, that's true. For better or for worse, I, right? I, mean, I, don't, I don't agree some- with you, <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> Not if you're playing with a simple character. On Match Adventures, you know, I, I can't give it a strong recommend. But yeah, like Peter said, you know, if you've heard this, if the parts that are potential concerns don't bother you, and if you want a fun, like, goofy, throw some unique characters together and, and punch some, uh, you know, urban legends in the face, I think it's I think it's a fun time. And and it's it's a quick play regardless. It's nice components. Like, it's a, it's a nice package. 
I mean, I would say you should definitely try it. If you like Unmatched at all, I think you will really. Oh, like yeah, yeah. If you like Unmatched, you got to get this. Because a lot of the complaints we had, well, I, I guess a few of them are specifically in how the system was ported from Unmatched. But some of the complaints we're talking about are kind of already Unmatched complaints. So if they don't bother you there, they probably aren't going to bother you here. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. So yeah, for those of you who like Unmatched, definitely go out and get it. It's It's still a lot of fun. I mean... I like Unmatched more after playing this. Like, I actually like, even with the wrinkles, I like the adventures better than I like the co-op version, or the uh, competitive version. Just And it's not because I'm a co-op player either. I like some competitive games more than I like most co-op games. So it's not that. It's I, I think I don't like beating up other people a lot of times in games like this, but I really liked working together with players. And I liked that random flip. And when we all go, oh, or whatever, like that randomness, actually, I, I do like that on the flip. So, um, yeah, that part doesn't bother. Yeah, me. no, no, I so, agree with you there. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, let's get into AI complexity and what we like and, you know, what can be done. Do you want to uh, start us off? So, yeah, again, we're talking about specifically, or at least I am, Peter, you might go a different direction with this, but I'm really focusing on AI, like Automa added or like with a game that is primarily a competitive game and how much you model a real player and how complex do you get in there, like kind of with decision like trees and all that kind of stuff. And I'm a weird one. I know I'm I'm more into these kind of games than Peter. I really like, for some reason, I often like the process of seeing how an Automa runs when it's more complex and more trying to be like a real player. Certainly, I am into designing that kind of stuff, like with some of the Automa I've designed for other people's games. But then also, you know, to give a few examples of the coin games, Roots solo mode, you know, like bigger, like war game solo modes. Like uh, there, there's something kind of fun to me in almost like a programming way of seeing how they work and like how they figure things out. But I think, but it, it's tough for me to recommend those games to other people. Cause I'm like, that's a very specifically me thing, I think. And not everyone is going to like that. And I think for the average person, that's probably a negative having to like go through yes. a spreadsheet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. For the, for the average person, I would think so. I mean, that explains, though, why you like that one Chip Theory Games game so much. The the lane one where you're going down lanes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Cloudspire. Because that was like, an, I mean, an exercise in, you know, doing a bunch of different stuff for the AI and them all having special powers and all these other well, things. Well, it's interesting. Like if you it's love- interesting you bring up Cloudspire because actually the AI is not very complex there. It's just the fact that there's a billion powers. Like, they pretty much just charge straight towards you with no thought whatsoever. There's no, like, spreadsheets or, like, either-or choices most of the time with them. But I still agree it's super complicated just because it's freaking Cloudspire and every faction has 8,000 keywords and then the AI uses them differently than you do. <laughs> well, I guess that's the hard part because I was I, I felt like I was looking up a lot on the enemy turns and, and that took longer. I'm on the other end. And part of the reason I didn't limit it to competitive games that got changed to cooperative is because think about when we were designing spare parts, we were kind of trying to figure out how complex we wanted the AI to be in that game. And again, maybe it's more tactical board play, but I don't even think it's limited to that because, you know, we've talked about Gaia Project versus Lost Ruins Arnak as well. So you can have different complexities there. But I think even when you're designing a game that's like a board, like against an, an AI, like some kind of dungeon crawler or whatever else, you're almost thinking of how somebody would run that AI. 
So even though it's not coming from a competitive game, I still think you have to decide the level of complexity you want to, which is very different than like a pandemic or whatever, where you're just like flipping a card and resolving some quick actions. So I do think there's a different feel there between those games. But yeah, I mean, we can limit the discussion this week to... Well, no, actually, actually, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I think it matters, right? So for me, I like a, a very simple, clean system. But here's where I agree with you a little bit in that. So I, I like a simple, clean system. That's why Unmatched, that's one of the biggest pros for me is how quickly the AI turns are. I don't want to spend a lot of time playing a game where the AI is taking longer turns than me. I think that's one of the benefits of Spirit Island, games like that as well. The AI is pretty quick to resolve its actions. And so that one's a little more complex. And I think that's what I like, though. I think there's a sweet spot in there for me. And it, it, it showed up in Apiary, which is very simple and clean, which I really liked. But then I played right afterward, Great Western Trail, New Zealand, and they added a little bit more, right? It was like, okay, we're going to make the AI do different stuff based on whether it's going after like shepherds this turn or you know, shipping or whatever else. And I like that little bit of a tweak. The AI turn was still as fast to resolve, but the fact that it changed up a little based on some kind of a, whatever factor it is that made it that much more enjoyable for me. And my favorite AI of all time, although I'll admit it's super complex is Gaia project. And I think it is because it mirrors players' actions as well. And I'm willing to put up with, because I like the game so much, a little more complexity there because I do think it makes each game you play. I worry a little bit about like simplicity when it's too simple. The game starts feeling the same every time you play it. So I do want a little bit of complexity in the AI's decisions. That way the game's going to feel different from game to game. Because I did notice the more I played Apiary, the more I felt like it played similarly from game to game, where these other AIs just adding a little bit of a tweak to it make it feel different each time I play it. Yeah, and a lot of that depends for me on, like, how different what I'm doing is. Like, I think Apiary, while it is a pretty straightforward game, the factions and the different player boards, the different, like, combos of tiles that come out, I think they that still gives it replay, even if you're right, the AI is pretty straightforward. But I, I do think the point you made a little bit earlier about, is my turn longer than their turn? <laughs> am I thinking more on my turn, or am I thinking more on how to run their turn? I think that's a great way to think of things. Because, yeah, like a lot of the big war games I was talking about, your turn is also pretty complex, you know, so it doesn't necessarily feel bad if there's a decent amount of stuff going on in their turn. Whereas, yeah, if, if Unmatched Adventures, like, had tried to, I don't know what they would do. It's not a very complicated game anyway. But if, like, somehow each enemy turn took, like, two minutes in that game, that would be a death knell immediately. <laughs> like, no freaking way sure. am I going to take my turn for 30 seconds and then your turn takes two minutes. That's absurd. Yeah. So I, I think... You know, as with everything, there. first of all, everybody's going to have their own opinion, right? Some people like, you know, we talked about this a lot with uh, Flame and Fang graphic design. Some people like very clean graphic design. Some people want all kinds of fanciness. You know, it's just going to be a personal choice. And I think this is a personal choice as well. I lean toward a simpler AI system, but with some nuances. I think that's going to be the key for me. I don't want something, perfect example, I, I didn't love Art Nova's solo mode because it wasn't, there was no AI, right? You literally just have a timer and it changed away. The game played uh, quite a bit. And whereas one of my favorite games, Castles of Burgundy, has a very simple timer type 
AI system too, but they managed to change the puzzle and it feels like a very different game. And uh, I'll talk about a third favorite Euro of mine, which is Feast for Odin, where there is no AI. You're basically blocking your own actions. And that one, to me, lost all replayability because there isn't, it's not like you have different factions each time. The map boards are the same each time you play. So there's very subtle differences between play and play there. I think that one, Feast for Odin, is a good way to learn the game. But Again, all you're doing is you're placing your workers on the board and then you take a different color of workers and you place those workers out the next turn and you just have blocked your own spaces. There's nothing to change it from game to game except some subtle like card draw, which the cards aren't even that impactful and what resources are available to you, which again is even that is very similar from game to game. So that one bothered me more. It, it seemed like it lost replayability really quick. I think it's a decent way to learn the game, but I'd Like, I wouldn't want to go back to it. And I guess that's the thing. If you make your AI too simple or no AI at all, like some of these other games have done, I think you lose replayability. Now, Ark Nova gets away with it a little bit because the card pool is so big and every card is very impactful there. So I don't think you feel samey from game to game. I just didn't like the tempo of that one. Yeah, there's something else I wanted to bring up just because it is directly related to some of the stuff we were talking about with Unmatched in Automa Design. So a lot of times, I'll use Unmatched Adventures, it's the the card economy and the enemies not having that card economy and kind of ignoring it, right? Except for like sort of the deception card. A lot of times, Automa Designs will do that where in the interest of streamlining and not trying to like make the player keep track of things, they'll make them less like a player in that they remove a entire economy that is present in the competitive play. You know, you see this in a lot of Euros, like the enemies don't keep track of resources. They don't pay for things, right? Uh, They don't have a hand of cards. They just can draw as many times as they want, like every time they take an action. And it is an interesting... Literally every game I mentioned does that. Yep, yep. Literally every game. And and here's the thing. (laughs) I, I think that is a necessary thing. I think that is a good thing. I think many of my favorite Automa designs do that kind of thing as well. But a question you have to ask yourself is going straight to the designers out there who are doing like their own solo modes and Automa and that kind of stuff. Question you have to ask yourself is how key to the core concept of the game, especially if you're trying to recreate the competitive like version of the game in some way, how key is the interplay of those resource systems to that like kind of core concept of your game? So I would argue that Unmatched Adventures in completely removing the card uh, economy for the enemies lost something that is pretty interesting and pretty kind of fundamental to regular Unmatched. It doesn't break the game. The game still works, but a lot of things don't work the way they should and don't work as well and as interesting a way because they aren't participating in that. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I agree with you 100%. I think in a lot of those games, you're right, removing resources just removes complexity without removing a key element, because unless you're racing for those resources or whatever else, and as long as they're removing them from the board, then that's good enough. They don't need to keep track of them themselves. So, I mean, I think the the lessons I've learned from this are just be aware when you're making a solo mode or a co-op mode for a game that's supposed to have like that's trying to model another player, whether it's a boss or whatever else, I would say complexity is important. Like figure out how complex you're looking for in there and then just make sure that you're not making it too complex where 
the player's turns are less interesting than the AI turn. Like you don't want, <laughs> you don't want your turn to, to be dwarfed by all these things you have to think about to run the AI. You know, I think in more complex games, you can have a more complex AI system, but you also don't want one that's so simple that the game becomes repetitive and boring. I think those are some keys for me. Any, any takeaways from you? Well, yeah, I, I wanted to build on like what I was just saying a little bit, because I know we're going, we're going slightly long. A, a perfect example of this kind of thing to kind of illustrate the design advice I'm given is the coin series. This is, if you don't know, the long-running GMT uh, war game series, counterinsurgency series, that is usually four very asymmetric factions. And in most of the releases, they've had Automa for, you know, being able to play with like only one or two or three of those factions being like an AI thing. And a key concept in most of the coin games is that you have resources and you have to pay for your actions, right? simple kind of thing a lot of games have that so in the original like earliest ai at least that i played they had to pay for actions so they tried to make it more like a real player and it broke the game in many cases because if they got into certain loops of like kind of dumb sides of their uh their ai they would bankrupt themselves and they wouldn't really have a good way to come back right so that shows one extreme If you try to make them too much into the economy, you know, like think of if, if unmatched, they actually had like a hand of cards. And if you like did the right combo, you could make the Martians have zero cards and then every player could just hit them nonstop and they would never defend. Clearly, that's not a great way to do right. it. Right. So then it's interesting. The exact same system went in a pretty big 180 in some of the later AI systems. And now they made it so that you roll a die each time they play a card. And based on how expensive that card's action usually is, it has a different chance of them, quote unquote, being out of resources for the turn and stopping, right? Okay. So it's definitely better. I won't say it's like they went too far in the other direction, but it is interesting now that because there's no memory, you know, before you had the memory. Swingier. Yeah, like it it can swingy. It can be swingy. Sometimes they'll just like keep on going forever, (laughs) you know, and like nothing will stop them. Right. So often there is like a middle ground that you could go for. So here, I'm going to save what they did. What, uh, so I have a variant for coin, and then I'm going to talk back about unmatched adventures. And I'm just going to throw out a little variant, Peter, see what you think of it, okay? So my variant for coin was very simple. You just keep on, at, and they actually did this for a game that I just covered recently, Atlantic Chase, which is also from GMT, interestingly enough. But each time they take an action and they roll and they don't end their turn, you just add a plus one modifier to the next roll. Then a plus two modifier. Yep. Then a plus three. Pretty simple, right? It just adds a little Easy. bit of memory, but not hard to keep track of. And you'll never get those stupid, swingy, like endless turns. So what if, Peter, imagine this for Unmatched Adventures, okay? You start with, I don't know, two enemy cards and the deception card. You shuffle those together. All right? So okay. one third chance, anytime you attack, they're going to have the deception. They're not going to block it all. Then whenever you draw the deception card... You take whatever cards were left in their deck, which might be zero if it was the third card you draw, and then you add two new cards to whatever was left, and you shuffle the deception card into there again. So if it goes all the way to the bottom, it's going to be a one-third chance of drawing it next time you go through. But if it's the first card you draw, now their deck will be like five cards large, and you know it's going to take longer to get to deception again. So it's kind of a self-balancing thing. You'll get deception more often when you haven't gotten it for a while. You'll get deception less often when you got it recently. 
but the deck is going to be smaller and you're going to get deception more consistently, which will more like model the actual like running out of cards that a player deals with an unmatched. Yeah. I mean, I think they were trying to keep it simple, but I could definitely see something like that working. They would have to have much bigger decks because right now they don't have that many cards in some of the decks. Like they may only have seven or eight cards. So, I mean, very quickly they might run out of cards to add to their deck. But I know I, I like the concept of it. It would probably have to start with more than sure, three sure, sure. in their deck. And, and I'm not even saying I'm not even saying I would want to play that way because I do think Unmatched Adventures is so fast that the way it is is, is right. really fine. You know, like it does what it needs to do. But just like as a little thought experiment, you could find that more middle ground of some resource tracking of some resource element. And a lot of Euro like Automas do do this. You know, like. The enemy won't have the complete resource thing, but they have like a deck. And when their deck runs out, something happens, you know, or they can only play like this many of the more expensive cards a turn, or they still use the workers, even though they aren't keeping track of resources. So a lot of them do strike that middle ground. And I think for most designers, that's probably the best place to start. Like, be careful removing everything for the AI, because especially if it's not a really simple game, you might like make things too swingy and wacky. So yeah, anyway, sorry. I'm, I'm- yeah, I mean, having if-then statements is not a bad thing, right? Like it's, you know, I, Gaia Project does this. And I think that's one of the things that I like about it. It doesn't add too much complexity, but it's like, if they have a building in range, they do this. If they don't, they do sure, that, sure. right? So just, and even Apiary does this. They have like three or four things in a row. Like they check box one. Nope, can't do it. Let's move to number two. I think- you know, again, depending on how simple you're trying to make your system, certainly that's what Unmatched went for, right? And I think as a designer, you just have to know what you're going for and who your audience is. I think part of the reason people like Unmatched is you can play it with almost anybody. It is a very simple, straightforward system that allows for a lot of variety in character design, right? So I think they just went with that. They're like, people who play this game don't want over complexity, don't want a ton. And I do think it's important to match your AI with the complexity of your game. We kind of talked about that a little bit earlier. And so what they went with here was literally the simplest possible solution. And, you know, any of these other solutions we're talking about are going to make the game go a little bit longer, be a little bit more complex and add to the AI time, right? And we were just talking about earlier how you don't want to add to AI time when your turns are super short like this. I think any more complex they would have gone with the system. And I mean, again, you're talking about a game with like an eight page rule book and not even big pages. So I, I think that's part of it too, right? The complexity of the game, the complexity of their audience is driving the complexity of the Absolutely. AI that Absolutely. they had to put. Yeah, and that, that's probably the best advice for all of this. The right answer, if you know who you want your audience to be, or if you're an established game, or like you've already had playtesting and stuff, is to do what, I mean, well, first of all, do what you want to do with your game, but also do what your audience wants you to do to get to the experience that you are hoping to achieve, you know what I mean, for your players. Absolutely. All right, Mike. Well, that was a good one. I think we we went to a lot of places there with our discussion, but I think we came back to some really good advice at the end, which, you know, we may change our mind on in two years and maybe we'll think something different. That's how stuff goes. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think the game industry is evolving. Game design is evolving and we're evolving as we do this longer and more too. And a lot of you have been on that journey with us and we thank you for being on that journey with us. And I also want to throw one final thank you out to anyone who backed our game flame and fang thank you so much for having 
faith in us and trust in us. Um, it really means a lot to us and, and we definitely appreciate it. And we definitely took notes. So a lot of you did, and, and we totally appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks everybody for listening to the podcast. We're going to keep coming at you and have a great week. Bye. Thanks for joining us again for the one stop co-op shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again and we'll see you next week for another Top 5 list. Hey Mike. Yeah. I'm pretty amazed about a tale I'm going to tell you. I was going to ask if you had a tale to tell me. Dang it, you got ahead of me.